0: Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. I'm here with yet another high demand coach, and that is uh, Mr. Greg Cagle. Uh, he is a passionate advocate for authenticity, a transformational executive coach, and a corporate culture consultant, and an author, and a speaker. He does it all. Uh, he does it well. I've, I've had an opportunity to see some of his stuff before the, the show here, and you guys are in for an absolute treat. Uh, Greg leverages more than 25 years in the trenches of of building and leading his own companies. He also comes alongside leaders and guides companies to position them for breakthrough success in building a culture that blows away the competition. There's so much in there that I want to unpack. But but before we get into any of that, Greg, I'd love to first just welcome you to the show and ask you if you could start off and just tell us a little bit about your story before you got into coaching. What were you up to and how did that lead to coaching and why?
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Scott, first of all, for having me. And my story, I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, I think it might relate to uh, your audience pretty well. So, before before I was in coaching, I was kind of a serial entrepreneur. And it was that simple. I, uh, my history o- over the course of my career is I started, built, and sold uh, five different businesses o- over uh, uh, the, my, my career span. And What's interesting is, you know, a lot of times you get into something out of necessity more than than a plan, and that that was the case for me. So I was uh, in, in a business, uh, in fact, in, in your area there in in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I, I was in the real estate business, real estate development business, and in two thousand and seven, uh, there was an issue there, <laughs> and. Uh, there was a, kind of a financial uh, collapse uh, yeah. in the country, and 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 what really forced that to happen was the real estate industry. And we know what happened. We you know you look back now is the, the real estate market completely collapsed. Well, that put me in a position and was really kind of forced to reinvent myself. And so in 2009, I just kind of said, "All right, what what do I want to do now?" Uh, You know, I'm still a middle-aged man at that time. I've gone through a tremendous uh, adversity for two years, getting up every day, kind of fighting the whole uh, thing there. And so, you know, life wasn't too good at that time. And I said, well, what do I need to do? I need to reinvent myself. And I just kept coming back to the fact that all I knew was business. Um, you know, I, I, I started my first business when I was 28 years old. And um, one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients when I work with them is what, what makes me probably someone you might want to listen to is I've been there and I have failed many times. I have succeeded a few more times than I've failed. Uh, and I've got a lot of in the trenches, scars, um, you know, uh, in, in business. So I looked at it and I said, well, that's all I've ever known. And um, I just kind of decided that, hey, if I can't be in business, maybe I can be uh, an advisor and someone that walks alongside of of folks that is walk- walking the trail that I've walked. And so that's kind of how I I got into it slowly, but surely. And now it, it's ballooned into um, a, a pretty large endeavor.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about who you work with now and what would you say is the most important work that you do for them?
1: Uh, Well, I work with a lot of folks. Um, I'll pick out a couple that I really enjoy working with. I work with a steel manufacturer, a public uh, company steel manufacturer uh, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, Steel Dynamics, one of my favorite clients. Uh, they have locations all, all over the country, very large organization. I love working with those folks because one of the things they've asked me to do is help some of their frontline leaders understand what, what it takes to be the next level of, of leader. And so I really, really enjoy that because these guys are really hungry. They're open. Uh, they want to learn. They Most of them don't have any kind of formal uh leadership training or any kind of business training and so i really love working with those guys um probably the other organization that i work with that really is a lot of fun and i've learned a lot from is uh army special operations group so i got introduced to them about nine years ago and You know, these are the elite guys of of the armies, the special operators. They do extraordinary stuff. And it's very interesting because I got introduced to them to come in and help them understand leadership better, which kind of was made me curious. I mean, what do I teach these guys about leadership? Uh, But that has been a phenomenal um, relationship. And um, I think the biggest thing there uh, is helping those guys understand that leadership is a lot more than just authority and title, which is prevalent, you know, in the military. Leadership is about understanding people, building strong relational chemistry within your team, and then and then leveraging that for a higher higher uh, performance level. So those are two two examples. Um, anyway, yeah
0: fantastic and uh so one of the things you mentioned that I want to pull out because I've not actually had a, a, an opportunity to to dive in uh, on this particular topic with somebody but that is uh how as a leader do you develop frontline leadership because leading from the top if you will of an org chart or the c suite or whatever you want to call it the senior leadership team is is in some ways the same set of skills, but in other ways, a very different set of skills to those who are leading from the front lines. So what do you do to, uh, first, what does it take to succeed as a leader at the front lines?
1: Well, I, you know, the front line is where everything happens. You know, we give a lot of attention to the C-suite and 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 rightfully so. I mean, you know, the leaders in the C-suite, you know, they, they cast the vision, they really are responsible for the direction of the organization, all the different strategic initiatives. But at the end of the day, uh, the frontline leaders are the ones that are executing on everything that the business needs executing on. And so one of the things that I, you know I help frontline leaders understand is two, two things. do you understand the purpose at which you're trying to serve? and can you can you make sure that the people you're leading right there on the front line that are delivering every single day, do they understand that brand promise? Do they understand the purpose that they're that they're serving? So that's number one, and, and keeping that uh, in the front of mind, awareness at all times. And then the second thing is again, it's it at the end of the day, it boils down to relationships. What kind of connection have I created with the people I'm leading? Do they do they feel a responsibility to uh, each other? Do they feel a responsibility to the organization? Is there an emotional connection? I, I tell leaders this all the time, you know, goals are achievement driven, but, but sustainability is emotionally driven. People cannot sustain a high level of performance for any given time if they don't have an emotional connection. That happens on the front line, by the way. I mean, what are the chances of a frontline employee in a major corporation spending any real quality time with any leader in the C-suite? It just doesn't happen. It's not logistically possible. But that emotional connection has to occur right there in that band of, mm. of, of, of frontline uh, peers. And and that's a big part of the leader's responsibility on the front line.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Uh, that's so good. What do you find... Um... What do you find stands in the way of putting first things first? So taking the purpose of the organization and building the relationships. Uh, what I found with mostly is there's a temptation to do something else, right? That is good and probably helpful to some extent, but it's not good and helpful because it's taking away time from those higher leverage activities. What do you find that uh, those, those frontline leaders are uh, getting distracted by or giving too much time and attention?
1: Uh, well, again, it, it, you know, part of the answer to that question is dependent on what kind of business you're in. Are you in a, you're in a service organization where you're serving people on the front line or, are you know, manufacturing, you know, where you're actually producing something there on an assembly line? But at the end of the day, it's, it's interesting because the distractions for a frontline leader aren't all that different than uh, leaders up the chain. I mean, we get um, you know, we get day-to-day issues that pop up that we never anticipated. You know, if it, again, if you're in manufacturing, you're on the front line, you have a major piece of equipment malfunction. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it, it's all about getting back up and running. You're on the front line. You have a major problem with a customer. And so now you've got a customer complaint that you've got to handle. And then not to mention uh, all the emails and everything else that are flowing and hitting your inbox. But here's the one thing that I want to, I really like to warn uh, organizations about, and that is overemphasizing compliance in your organization. Here's what, I just wrote a book about this. And and one of the things that I talk about is organizations who are trying to scale their business and trying to um, systematize things so that they have efficiencies. All of that is good. But what, what happens so many times, and I see this all the time, is slowly but surely we completely overburden our frontline leaders with compliance matters. It's reports that have to be filled out, it's things that we have to comply with, it's HR things, it's this, that. And the next thing you know, what we have is a disengaged frontline leader because they're trying to manage all the processes, procedures, and rules and paperwork to go with it. That's the number one biggest distraction in my mind that I've seen particularly recently yeah because everybody thinks that system systematizing things and proceduralizing things is is it's it's important but when it becomes the only thing it creates a roadblock for your frontline leaders to actually lead and yeah, to actually yeah. do what's necessary in real time to make, to deliver on the brand promise.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, The language that we use for that, uh, which I mean is exactly what you're describing is systems and processes are what get you out of the uncomfortable stage that we call whitewater, right? You've got this growing organization and then all of a sudden it's just fumbling all over itself. It's kind of like the teenage years, you know, your feet are a little bit bigger than the rest of your body and like, it's just awkward and, and it doesn't work well. And what do we find? Okay, some discipline and system and process is what gets us up out of that problematic period and creates an enormous amount of success. That's what pulls you into the stage we call predictable success. But then what do we do as leaders? You know, we, we just, uh, if that worked there, then of, of course it's going to work today. And you're right. It's just little by little by little. It's not overnight. It's not this sudden catastrophic event. No, you kind of wake up one day and, you know, form edges out function. You know, the checklists become more important than whatever the checklists were there for in the first place. And now you're in, uh, treadmill is what we call it. You know, you're just kind of spinning your wheels, you're doing the thing, but it's it's not working anymore. And it's it's so important for folks to recognize that just because something worked to create the success you're experiencing today does not mean it's going to be the thing that creates the success in the future.
1: Scott, man, listen, thank you for saying that because I've talked to a lot of people about this and I think you're the, I mean, I saw you dial in on that immediately and I can tell you either have experience with that, or you've seen it, or you know uh, it's it's kind of one of those things that you're hypersensitive to. I got to tell you something. That's rare. in fact, can, can I tell a quick story? It, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, that's why we're here. All right, so this is a great example. So I'm 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 coaching this this guy that I've been work I've worked with for a number of years, and. Um, he He has this tendency to work with uh, startups in the technology business. And so he he kind of like every two or three years he jumps ship. And you see that a lot out there today. But what was interesting about him, it seemed like every time he just started getting his his set, you know settled and, and really getting into a cadence and a rhythm, uh, that organization would get bought out. and here's here's a great story for you. So recently, same thing happens. He, he's really doing great. He's really a high performer for this organization. He's in sales. And um, he, they get bought out. Uh, and so here's, here's a great story. He gets a phone call from one of his largest clients, and the and the phone call sounds like this. Hey, we're doing, we're having a meeting here and we need you to come in because we're kind of laying out our budget for the next year and what we're going to you know, invest in and so on and so forth. We need you here to represent your product so we make sure we budget what we need to budget for. Now, it, that's a salesperson's dream, right? So immediately what he does, he makes hotel reservation, books his flight, preparing to go. He gets a phone call. He gets a phone call from HR and they say, um, and remember now this company just got bought out by a larger uh, conglomerate. They get a phone call and says, well, you can't go on that trip just yet. Well, why not? Well, because we have a, we have a program. We We have certain arrangements with hotels and airfare and with, with, with airlines. They literally told him he could not go on the trip until he went through this process, which by the way, if he goes through this process, he misses the meeting, right? Now, I know this sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I, I, this is something I encounter. And so, you know, he had a choice to make right then and there. And of course, he made the right choice. He went on, he did the trip and he dealt with it, you know, later. But this is an example of how systemization and, and here's what winds up happening. A lot of, a lot of leaders don't, don't think about this. An overly compliant environment, culture is what I call it in my book about culture. An overly compliant culture leads the organization's people into complacency. Yeah. Because they show up for work and they go, well, okay, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. It's not that they're not working, it's just they're focused on whatever it is you tell me to do. That's what I'm going to do. What's the rule? What's the process? What's the procedure here? There's no innovative thought. There's no creative thinking. There's no real time thinking critically in terms of situations that arise. That require me to be an independent thinker and handle the situation. Yeah. And that's when businesses are in in dire, dire trouble.
0: Yeah. I think the the real scary part about that is once you achieve that uh, as a leadership, like you've gotten what you wanted. Right, you, you've you've got people who do what they're told, who line up, you know, who execute on it. it. It 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 actually feels like we've arrived. You know, it feels like we've finally created the thing that we've wanted for at least a while. Uh, but the way that we describe it is, not, you're actually stuck in the big rut. And the difference between the big rut and that treadmill period is, you don't recognize there's a problem anymore. The the sales rep who's throwing up his hand saying, "What the heck is going on?" is gone right? Like they left a long time ago and we we're like good riddance, but that was the thing that was keeping us out of, you know, this, this being stuck as an entire organization. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And we see it all the time. And, you know, so often we we look at the stories of great companies and we look at how they, they lose their way and and we're quick to say like, oh, the market moved on or the, you know, some type of external factor happened. But if you really go into the, the organization, you really look at what's happening. They died a long time ago, right? Uh, I was walking through, you know, we get these crazy storms here in, in Georgia. You lived here for a little while and I was walking through the, the woods uh, after this really, really intense windstorm uh, back behind our house. And there was this huge tree that had completely toppled over, like couldn't put my arms around it if there were two of me, you know, just giant tree. And from the outside, everything looked perfect. But when, when it fell over, you could see inside and the whole core of it had rotted out. And, and that's what these organizations are like, you know, and we blame the wind, right? But it's the rotten decay that's been happening for decades.
1: Great. That's a great analogy. Great analogy. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. So uh, let's go one more step on this. Uh, so you let's say you're working with a, a client and senior leadership asks you to come in with um, with you know uh, frontline leaders, and you know you you get in there and you immediately sense okay they're driving through compliance. There's something wrong here. What do you do in that situation?
1: Okay, this is a great question because I never really work with frontline leaders in an organization until I first help uh, the, the, the the higher up leaders that in the C-suite and you know at the VP level. I say, look, every leader casts a shadow over culture, and before before I can work with frontline leaders, I got to understand what shadow are you casting over culture? What is it that you are making most important through the messaging that you're? doing uh, in, in in the actions that you're taking and the way, way you're interacting with people and and basically, I help them understand uh, there are four different dimensions of their culture, and how they lead each one of those dimensions is absolutely critical on delivering on the front line uh, and and really delivering on the brand promise. And so we you know we, we have to have that. We have to talk about that. And here's what I almost always find is what the higher-up leaders think they're creating in culture is not what they're creating. Let's go back to the compliance thing for a moment, because that's actually one of the dimensions of culture that I talk about, the compliant dimension. Well, it it is designed to create order and structure in business. And order and structure in business is good, right? Um, And processes and procedures are necessary there to eradicate problems of the past. Or to um, capture efficiencies that we want to continue to to move forward in the business. But when it gets overblown, it's trouble. So what do we what do we talk about? We say, listen, the first thing that you've got to understand is your compliance has got to be in that 80% bandwidth. So if it doesn't serve 80% of what's going on in your business day to day, get rid of it. If it's on the outer fringes and it's only addressing something that's likely to happen once every now and then, we're over, we're we're overdoing it. Um, and so we talk about that. And then we talk about um, the different business deliverables every organization is responsible for executing on strategy. Does this help execute on our strategy? If the answer is yes, we should keep it. The answer is no, we should get rid of it. Um, <clears throat> navigating crisis and adversity, every organization will eventually be hit with adversity or crisis. And does this help? Prepare us to be prepared for adversity or crisis if it hits. The answer is yes, we keep it. So we go through that process. Once I have that understanding, I now go and I begin to deliver that message to the front line and say, okay, let's talk about this. And they actually help give me feedback that allows me to tell the C suite, hey, we've got probably 15, 20% distraction on the front line that we can get rid of just like that. Yeah. yeah. And then you get their attention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you come up with a number of 15, 20% to some people may feel small, but when you're working with a large organization, 15, 20, 20 that's a huge, huge number. Like, no, not even possible, but uh, yeah, I've, I've found that more often than not, that's true. Um, more often than not. So, all right, we've got to get here because I I just can't wait any longer. This is my favorite part of the show, but I'd love for you to, to share with us. What is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret? What was the, what's that one thing that you wish everybody listening knew today?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to put my coach hat on and this is what I'll say because I deal with so many people individually. And the biggest secret I wish wasn't a secret was you are so much more powerful than you realize. And they're not as powerful as you think they are. And so many of the leaders that I work with they're leaders, why? Because they want to be good leaders. They want to improve. They're focused on being the best they can be. And as a result of that, many of them fall into this trap of focusing in the areas they're not happy with, they're not comfortable with, and always giving the other person, uh, whoever that other person is, competitor or whatever, more credit than they deserve. And it's, it's all about, hey, listen, you, you have a very specific skill set much of which is hardwired into you. And we just need to live there. We need to be, we we need to grab a hold of that. And we need to expand that. We need to be, this is why authenticity is one of my favorite words. And I'm trying to get away from it because so many other people are using it that it's almost become, um, you know, I wrote a book one time called Be Weird. and And I just, I took away authenticity and said, this is your weirdness. And your greatness resides within your weirdness. And so I work with a lot of leaders to say, listen, man, where are you adding the most value? Let's focus there Um, and and quit trying to carry the water uh, for everything. Um, You can be the smartest person in the room, or you can make everyone in the room smarter. And it's that second one that is the leader that I want to create, that leader that walks in and everybody's game is heightened. Everyone becomes smarter. Everyone becomes more innovative and creative because that leader walks into the room, as opposed to everyone looking at that leader and say, okay, tell us what to do, almighty leader. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I love that. Um, I, I really do. So, all right, you, you just put your coach hat on. I'm going to have you take it off for a second. Uh, I'm going to have you put your CEO hat on uh, mm-hmm. and talk to us a little bit more about what this stage of growth looks like for you and your business and what some of the challenges are you think you're going to have to overcome to get there.
1: Well, interestingly enough, this may not, you may have to edit this out. I don't know if this fits for your audience. Uh, you may say, Grant, please don't say that. Where I am right now, honestly, in, in my business, I'm looking for a way to scale back on the amount of work we're doing. Um, we've been very blessed, very fortunate uh, in that I have literally as much work as I want what what I'm what I'm focused on right now is, what is the work that I know we can make the biggest difference in? What is the work? What what is, what is the definition of the perfect client for us? And I'm actually being very exclusive in who we're working with right now, not because I think I'm all that. It's because I'm, we're just at a point where we know the kind of impact we wanna make, we have years and years of experience in getting there. And now I wanna match that with the right business, with the right business leaders and really make a a huge difference. The The challenge that I'm coming up with that is very simple. I've spent a lifetime trying to say yes to business opportunities (laughs) and now trying to figure out how to say no. It's killing me. I'm not very good at it. Yeah. That's my biggest challenge.
0: Uh, We can't edit that out. was one of the best pieces of advice we've had on the show because, you know, bigger is not better, but better is better. Right. And and there are times and seasons, uh, and sometimes they're just the overall direction of where we're going. And other times when, saying no is the absolute best thing you can do for your organization. And especially for those leaders, which is most leaders in my experience, what they're really trying to do is create impact. And we're used to creating impact by saying yes, going big, making big promises, and, and finding a way to scramble and deliver on them. But there are there are times when you know that strategy is appropriate, and that strategy will earn you the right at some point to also be able to say no strategically. So I, I think that's phenomenal. Uh, um, um, you know, it takes some vulnerability to jump on and say that, right? Because it can get misinterpreted so many ways, and, and it can look so different. But I think there's definitely folks listening here today who that's some of the best advice they could hear right now is that a strategic no is worth a thousand yeses.
1: Well, Scott, if I could just do, to, to draft off of that for one second, and I know we're up against the clock here, but um, here's here's what I'm, I've really discovered over the past two or three years, and and I discovered this through my work with my clients. When we focus on 100% impact, what, what 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 truly is it that we really want to deliver? And what is the impact that we want to have? And we put all of our thought and effort into producing that. Here's what happens. The growth opportunities that most entrepreneurs are looking for, um, that is a byproduct of strategic yeses or nos. And sometimes taking a piece of business for short-term growth can absolutely be the kiss of death in terms of your reputation or your, you know, whatever it is you're trying to deliver. And so um if it, it, it doesn't have to be either or is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You can still have long-term sustainable growth by focusing on what do I really need to say no to today? Yeah. And I think that's a, a that's a lesson a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, miss.
0: Yeah, that's so good, so good. Uh, so, uh, as we were talking, you mentioned uh, a book, uh, and I'd love for you to just give us, you know, sixty seconds on uh, what the book's about and where we can find it.
1: Real simple. Um, it, it is a book on culture, and what I do is I help the reader understand a few things. You're going to have a culture, uh, whether it's by design or default, and I encourage leaders to think more about the culture they're creating than in the area where they're most comfortable in leading. They're so comfortable leading in, in reports and in, in different strategies and all these things that hit their desk and, and all this data. And I'm not saying that's not important, but what really d- delivers is culture. And it, leaders need to focus more on their culture. And so we help them understand that. And then we help them understand there's four distinct dimensions of culture. Three of those are very positive and require a specific kind of leadership. One of those is negative and always look to be avoided and eradicated in your organization and leaders are the ones that set the tone for culture. And we give them this map of how to build not only a healthy culture, but to balance the different elements of culture so that one doesn't get out of balance with the other. As we were talking about earlier, compliance getting out of balance has the negative effect. Well, that is true of the other two dimensions as well, which we call committed and courageous. But um, that's pretty much where it is. And I mean, they get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million, um, pretty easy to find. It's called The Four Dimensions of Culture and the Leaders Who Shape It. Um, So it's a leader culture connection type of book.
0: Awesome. The Four Dimensions of Culture uh, and the Leaders Who Shape It, we'll add a link uh, in the show notes. Go out and get a copy of today. Uh, before you forget, you will not regret it. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for being on. It was an absolute pleasure having you here. Uh, I so appreciate you taking the time. And for everyone listening, your time and attention mean the world to us. Uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. I hope this conversation was as helpful for you as it was for me, because I know it, from my end of things, it was amazing. And I think it will be for you as well. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com and if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you wanna know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram.